You're listening to Radio DePaul. I'm Connor Mudd, and this is Tom Talks. Welcome to Tom Talks, the talk show where we totally talk Tom Cruise. This is our first episode of 2021. We're entering the winter quarter of DePaul's quarter system, and we're talking about Last Samurai today. With me today is a very special guest. He owns over 100 records. He's seen Hoobie Halloween over a dozen times, and he's been playing Minecraft for 10 years. Please welcome to the show, Chase Klebauer. Chase, how are you doing? Uh, I'm I'm okay. I'm doing all right. I'm trying to break things open and it's not working very well. Yeah. I'm excited to have you back on the show. It feels like I only have you on the show when the Tom Cruise character matches your hairstyle. I love that. That's so good. How do you go about picking what records you want in your collection? Uh, I mean, it really just depends on whatever I'm listening to at the time. Um, Recently, I just pre-ordered Slow Tie has a new album coming out in February. So I just pre-ordered that and I just got into him in like October. So it really just depends on what I'm listening to at the time. What's your what's your favorite album? What's your rarest album? My rarest album? My favorite one that I own visually would have to be, I have uh, Pink Floyd's uh, Dark Side of the Moon. And the vinyl I have for that is from like 1978 and it's etched. And they never, they didn't really etch stuff back then. So it's really cool to have that. The most expensive one I have, unless it's changed, um, but it it was Tyler, the creator's scum blank flower boy. <laughs> I like that you're censoring it yourself. <laughs> that makes the editing easier later. I assumed, yeah. Um, but it, it normally goes for like, I think it's 150. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. My, co- my collection at this point is worth uh, a median of 2.3k nice how long have you been collecting oh that's a great question i've had discogs is what i use to log all my stuff it's like a little social media for records uh but i've been a member since 2015 so at least since then yeah that's rough well uh, hubie halloween i've never i have not seen hubie halloween hubie hubie Hubie? see i'm i'm that much of of a hubie layman that i didn't know how to pronounce it Hubie Halloween is a masterpiece um, by, what is it, Happy Madison Films. It's a good old Adam Sandler. Uh, Ben Stiller's in it for a little bit. Like for five seconds, for some reason, he's in it. Kevin James is in it. There's a lot of just weird, like relatively popular actors in it. And it's just terrible to so many things. It's so awful. It is so terrible to mental health. So why it's, have you watched it 12 times? Uh, initially, I watched it as a joke with my girlfriend, but she fell asleep during it multiple times when we tried to watch it, and I, I didn't, so I've seen it multiple times. And at this point, it's kind of just a thing to watch it every now and then. It's, I've, I grow to love it more and more each time. Can you quote it? Like, has it, has it become ingrained in your memory yet? One of my favorite lines is um, there's a, a principal that screams he's a human being because everyone is just throwing things at Hubie um, <laughs> because the whole thing is everyone in town hates him because yeah. he's too nice. <laughs> okay. Yep. 
that's it that's the whole movie that is the the whole thing and then he's like doing investigative work the whole time and he falls in love with oh i don't know her name but she's the mom from modern family oh sofia vergara or the other one the other one the blonde one oh i have no idea who she is yeah but she's she's the romantic interest in that (laughs) it's that feels so weird to me why did netflix make that or I don't know. It is a Netflix original. The The romantic interest has these um, foster children, and that's a huge point of contention. Like, everyone makes fun of her for that. Because she has foster kids? Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, goodness. So do I need to see this movie? I think it's an experience. A it, positive one? I don't know if I can definitively say one way or another. It's something... And it's it's one of those bad movies that's you can actually enjoy because it's so bad. Okay. Yeah. You know, I really hope that Hubie Halloween becomes a cult classic. That would be oh I, phenomenal. I feel like every Happy Madison movie becomes a cult classic, though. This is like, true. Like Happy Gilmore is not a good movie, but people love it. Waterboy? Yeah. N- no. I actually um, have slowly grown to create a theory that Waterboy is the prequel to Hubie Halloween because he has a very similar voice inflection. (laughs) Isn't that just Adam Sandler's voice inflection though? No, he does like a weird voice for him. Okay. Yeah, it's as if his cheeks are just full of food the entire time kind of thing where it's just a little muffled and slurry kind of. Yeah, that that makes sense. Well, you know, this is Tom Talks. We should probably talk a little Tom. We can definitely talk a little, Tom. Yeah, yeah. So how, how familiar would you say you are with uh, Tom Cruise's filmography? Definitely not as familiar as you, but I, uh, I don't know if it's possible to get as familiar as you. It's, it's not, but, you know, nobody should be. <laughs> yeah, this is true. I watched uh, the, the trailer for Samurai today. Okay. Just to, just to see what, uh, what that was, and it, it really looks like something else. You know, and... and... Uh, you know, first impressions of that movie are always negative, right? Everyone thinks it's going to be bad. And I it, thought it was going to be bad. And I watched it once and I thought it was bad. But it was because I fell asleep the first time. So when I rewatched it the other day, I loved it. It's um, actually good. It's actually really good. It's heartwarming and beautiful. And, you know, it, it tears your soul apart and it lifts you up. And I, you know, I, yeah, it's become one that I genuinely will recommend to people now that I've seen it again and fully understand it. So it is two and a half hours long, though. It, that's the only downside. Really, not a white man like appropriating Japanese culture. But oh, so so it's because it's not that I thought it was that, and when I fell asleep halfway through and and like only caught the like last scene, that's what I thought it was. But that's not what it's about. And I'll go into a full synopsis. It's, it is more about a man recognizing his own flaws and helping another man learn to respect history. It's, it's really weird because, because Tom Cruise is not the last samurai. That's not what the movie is about. Okay. It makes it the trailer and the cover all make it seem like Tom Cruise is going to be the last samurai. No, it is referring to a group of samurai because samurai is the plural and their last stand 
in the same way that um, it more in a Custer's last stand sort of sense. Okay. Referring it like these are the last samurai. This is where they took their stand situation rather than Tom Cruise is the only remaining samurai. That's a lot better sounding. Yeah. Than... In fact, Tom Cruise, though he studies the ways of the samurai, I don't think he ever becomes a samurai because That's of probably how it thing. ends. Yeah. So I, that was my fear about the movie. And I'm telling you, preconceived notions out the window. Okay. Yeah. What, but what would you say your favorite Tom Cruise movie is? Because you have seen a few having talked to you. Yeah. I mean, the one that I've definitely seen the most has to be Minority Report. That one's always, I mean, that's an interesting to wa- one to watch. They, I don't know if they showed it in anyone else's high school, but they showed it in my high school. Mm-hmm. But I also recently have watched the two Mission Impossibles that they've had on Hulu. And they're great, just mindless movies. The, the next two questions are questions that I ask all of my guests. And I guess I ask all four of these questions to all of my guests, but these next two especially. Uh, what is the most Tom Cruise thing that you have ever done? I, I feel like there's a lot that that ropes in. Um, but the most Tom Cruise thing I've ever done... I don't know. I feel like my deep, deep desire to go to the Church of Scientology in Chicago is definitely the most Tom Cruise thing that I do. I just want to see what it is. I, I want to go in there. I've walked just, past it many times. Just to get that experience. Yeah, I want to see how Tom Cruise chooses to live. I want to see what his religion of choice is. That's The, the more I look into it, the more I realize that he's blackmailing people. Uh, so I've stopped looking Absolutely. into it because <laughs> I, I don't I don't want to keep tainting my image of Tom more than it's already tainted. Uh, yeah, I'm sure it just gets more and more tainted as this uh, this little show goes on. He's an enigma of a man, truly, and, and you know he's a passionate one too. So gotta love Absolutely. his passion, but he's definitely wild. The the next little bit, uh, I'm going to give you one minute to say whatever you want to Tom Cruise. In the event that Tom ever listens to this, I'm going to supercut all of the minutes uh, together into one long message for Tom. So you get one minute of that message. All righty. Your timed Tom starts now. Tom Cruise. The, uh, the, main, the biggest question I have for you is how does it feel to have a declining career? Um, looking at the movies you've made and been in and their popularity and whatnot your stuff in the 80s and 90s and some of the early 2000s are the most important things you've done and now it's mission impossible what 12 there's so many of them you're just remaking the same movie all the time also how how long do you think you'll be able to keep it up with you doing your own stunts when how poorly do you think that's going to go for you eventually because some of the stuff in Mission Impossible, he's, I don't know if Tom's going to, I don't know if he's going to be with us for as long as his lifespan could be. I just, I, my biggest question is, how, how much longer do we have with you, Tom? <laughs> A little morbid, but valid. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's his big thing is that he does all his stunts. That's his big thing right and as a like a 50 plus year old man he's God. bound to get more severely hurt as we oh. go down the line oh yeah 
I, I'm excited to see his dwindling career because the decisions he's making are strange to say the least. Um, yeah. But, but you know, it's an interesting direction. He does get to go to space though. So I do under, I, I do fully understand that decision. Yeah. A hundred percent. Well, we should go into a bit of a commercial break. And then when we come back from the commercial break, we will have a game. So stay tuned after this. This is Tom Scared for the Borgen Project. Each year, Nearly 2 million children die from preventable diseases. Each day, 30,000 people die from hunger. 500 each hour are children. The Borgen Project is turning this around. We need your help. To learn more, go to borgenproject.org. That's B-O-R-G-E-N project.org. Biking in Chicago is more than just a mode of transportation. It's a lifestyle. It's convenient, affordable, and with 13,000 bike racks, parking is never a problem. But with every reward comes a sidecar of risk. In Chicago, over 1,700 cyclists a year are killed or injured in bike accidents involving motor vehicles. Bike safety is simple. First, become familiar with Chicago bike laws. Know your hand signals and when to use them. Love your brain. Get a bike helmet that fits your noggin and deck it out with a headlamp and some reflective gear for riding at night. Bike at least three to four feet away from parked cars to avoid being struck by a car door being opened. Motorists can do their part, too, by checking their side view mirrors for bike traffic before exiting their vehicle. Most importantly, remember that we're sharing the road. Looking out for both ourselves and each other is the only way to keep Chicago's roads safe, no matter what your wheels look like. For more information on bike safety in Chicago, visit www.chicagobikes.org. This public service announcement was brought to you by Radio DePaul, Chicago's college connection. Hello and welcome back. You're listening to Radio DePaul. I'm Connor Mudd. This is Tom Talks. I'm here with Chase Klebauer, and we are about to play uh, a game of Deadliest Warrior. As we know, The Last Samurai uh, pits Civil War-trained uh, soldiers against the samurai. So in the spirit of this movie, I kind of wanted to, to, to liken it to that old History Channel show. I miss it. It's it was such an excellent show. You can watch some of the highlights on YouTube, but it's not the same. It's not the same. Not the same. Um, so now, now that I know that you were a fan of the show, I kind of want to see uh, how much you remember. So this is uh, I'm I'm taking the the people who fought from the show, and I've got a list of the winners here as well. And I want to see if you can remember who won, or if you can come to the con- conclusion of who would win in a fight between the two people I give you. Um, and see if you can conclude the same winner that they presented. So I'll start with the one with the samurai. The the samurai faced off against the Vikings. I remember that episode. Oh, who won? I would love to say that it's the samurai. I, I wanna I wanna say that that's correct. I wanna say that the samurai won. They did. Yeah. And I okay. yeah, that makes a ton of sense because the Viking have very poor armor. Little to none, yeah. Yeah, they've got shields and, you know, they're axes. Not, and... They're not particularly fast, I would say, either. Yeah, they're definitely mid-level speed. I did take a whole course on Vikings. Their steel, like their swords are phenomenally designed, and they actually used some some influence from Japanese, uh, like, steel makers. Somehow found its way up to the, the North, like the Norse culture. Um, but... Yeah, I think the discipline of the samurai is really tricky to beat in that fight. Yeah, 
I would agree. All right. What about Apache versus the Gladiator? I think it was, oh, I think the Gladiator won that one. The Gladiator lost to the Apache. Did they? Okay. Okay. Yeah. If I remember correct, I think it's because of a distance thing. Because the Apache have more ranged weapons. Yeah, gladi- gladiators do not, typically. Yeah, I could I, be mistaken. I think. Yeah, I don't... Do gladiators have bows and arrows? I actually don't remember. I feel like they don't. I don't think that's a traditional gladiator uh, weapon. Yeah, they generally... They have, like, the, the Spartan sword and the fun helmet-looking thing, but... Yeah, I definitely remember the helmet from that episode. It was the gold one. It had all the holes... If I remember, I'm pretty yeah. sure. With the weird little dome thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What about uh, similar to the Gladiator, the the Spartan versus the Ninja? Pretty sure the Ninja won that one, right? It, it was actually the, the Spartan, but I think that was a close one, if I remember correctly. That was... Okay. I'm surprised that the Spartans would have won that one. I feel like, I don't know, I always feel like speed wins most things, especially when it comes to fighting. I, I, I would agree with you there. The ninja are actually featured in Last Samurai too. They they attack the samurai in a camp. I assume the samurai win? Uh narrowly, yes. It, it's a it's a good fight. It's you know, it's a grand they've got you know similarly matched swords and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. All right. What about a, a pirate versus a knight? I don't think I remember that episode. Um I feel like it would be easy to assume that the pirate one just because of the techno technological differences yeah for like cannons guns like anything <laughs> yeah i i definitely i can't picture a scenario where a knight has anywhere near enough mobility oh absolutely all the clanking and what do you have like a, a long sword yeah i think something like a, a long sword or a crossbow or something no he had a mace or a flail i'm looking at the photos now I remember, I definitely remember the little scene where they were testing out the flail on their little weird gel dummy things. Yeah. Oh my God. What was that? What was that little gel called? Mythbusters used it all the time. I don't know, but I always thought they were super sick and weird. I would put one of those in my living room like that. (laughs) They look so cool. Put one of those like glow lights underneath it. Oh, that would be kind of terrifying. Avant-garde, like At, oh, absolutely. It would be you could make that an art installation. Yeah, if only we could remember what it's called. If you Google weird gel bodies from Deadliest Warrior, I'm sure it'll pop up. I'm googling what's that Mythbusters jelly, ballistics gel. Ballistics gel, yes. My favorite part is that they were always cut at the waist, like they never had legs. Yeah. It's just a torso. Which well, you don't need the legs. I guess not, but I but still I think it's funny looking. Yeah, and then every now and again they put like a skull in there to see how it would Oh yeah. Like, every time they there. Yeah. Oh I I remember those scenes. Those were sick. Oh, always so cool. I miss this show. Right? Yeah. It was a good show. Cause they, they did three seasons of it. What matchup did we not see that you would have wanted to see? I don't know what matchups we all saw, to be honest with you. Uh, there, you know, I, I would be able to tell you whether they did it or not, but there's a lot that they missed. So, heck, you, if you think about, yeah, like what, what do you think would be a very even matchup of historical warriors? Hmm, that's a great question. I think 
if you did Vikings against uh, like Genghis Khan type thing, that could be interesting. Uh, those they're, would be more evenly matched for sure. Yeah, because they're they're both uh, synonymous with like conquering places, so or raiding, regardless. They do about the same type of thing. The biggest difference would probably be bow and arrow, though, for sure. Yeah, yeah, and the the Viking formations didn't have like like, like they didn't have great ways to combat distance weaponry which is why crossbows were generally so deadly against them though they did have bows and arrows themselves it was more limited and they would use it more to start fires than to impale people yeah i think genghis khan faced hannibal in the show and won yeah and and that's that makes some sense i guess but of course he's gonna beat hannibal like that's no question about it for sure some of their matchups were a little like really do you need to I think we know, right? Yeah. Yeah, like actually, wait. I was about to give an example and in looking at it, I'm realizing that it doesn't make any sense. So in episode 9, they pit the IRA, the Irish Republican Army, I remember that part, against I the think. Taliban. There is no part of that that makes sense because the winner of this was the IRA. There is no way in hell that the IRA beats the Taliban in that fight. I mean, apparently they did. Apparently, but I don't buy it. Why did they do that season one? Because the IRA and the Taliban is what everyone wanted to see, I guess. (laughs) That was their, their like... Uh, before the the final um like the, the finals or whatever that was their like se- regular season finale before the playoffs or whatever okay that's a that's one way to end a season for sure along the lines of the last samurai do you uh, do you think an army of 500 samurai could beat an army of 2000 civil war union soldiers i mean i feel like a big uh big factor there would have to be landscape depending on where it is okay yeah um, well we'll set it in japanese countryside so it is in japan we'll say all right uh, how how uh do we do we have any like idea on how hilly or mountainous the, the- typical japan landside is there is one large central battlefield with some hills surrounding. I feel like it could be really easy for 2000 Civil War era soldiers to beat that, especially if they have high ground. Yeah, with, with howitzers and Gatlin guns. And- Compared to what? A sword and armor. And some bows and arrows. Some bows and arrows, yeah. No, they. I feel like it's a pretty decisive victory there. Yeah, you'd be correct. Sorry yeah. for spoiling the movie there, but... <laughs> I'm not surprised by it. Yeah. I mean, what else are you... How, like, how would you win that? Why? I don't even know why you would go up against those odds. Right? Yeah. The, it's definitely a poor decision, but in the movie it makes sense. Cause it, I'm it's, sure. It's, it's honorable. It's an honorable way to die, I suppose. Yeah. I guess. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. The honor has so many layers and true. 
Yeah, I wish in um, I, w- I wish that in season three they kept doing like actual real life things because at some point they gave up on doing regular uh, like 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 regular battles. So so who do you think won in a fight between a vampire and a zombie? Because this was in season I mean, three. <laughs> I've seen Twilight enough to know that the vampire would win. Yeah. Yeah. There's, I mean, there's a great line from Edward in that film where he says, uh, "They're something about how they're the apex predator, and you know they're designed to kill. Everything about you, everything about me, draws you in." And he he says his face, his hair, even his smell. It was really weird that those movies are terrible. Yeah, <laughs> truly bonkers. I always forget that you love those. I def- I should have structured this game better. I'm realizing I'm getting worse and worse at coming up with games for this show. Well, there's only so many. Right. Uh, And we're, what, 26 episodes in? Uh, And this game, I'm not going to lie, is fairly identical to the next game. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I need to get better at that. But also, I've done really good ones and then really, really bad ones. So It's hard to, you can't do a great one every single time yeah there's gonna be there's gonna be duds but i don't know how i don't know how i would have made the deadliest warrior one better i think yeah i think talking about deadliest warrior i want them to bring it back i really do i I don't fully understand why they would have canceled it but i honestly think it's just because they ran out of people like they ran out of people to put in fights i that's what i was about to say especially if they're pitting vampires and zombies against each other Right, like they. Why not do vampires and werewolves? Like, there's the iconic matchup. Yeah. Why on earth did they pit Teddy Roosevelt against Lawrence of Arabia? <laughs> Nobody asked for that. Nobody was like, you know, you know what I want. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's what everyone wants. I definitely want to see Teddy Roosevelt fighting. You know, I would love to see what their analysis is of that. Right. And how, how they, they described all. What what uh, proprietary weapons did Teddy Roosevelt have? Oh, like, let's see. Was it? I'm wondering if it was like Teddy Roosevelt and his army, or if it was just like whatever. Okay, no, never mind. It was just Teddy Roosevelt. It wasn't him and his army. His weapons were uh, a Bowie Hunter, an 1896 Crag carbine, and a Gatling gun. <laughs> what did Lawrence of Arabia have? Oh goodness, he just has a dagger, a rifle, and a regular old machine gun. But who wins? Teddy. Teddy Roosevelt wins? Yeah. Good old Teddy. Oh, this image of Lawrence of Arabia feels very offensive. It probably is. Because they have the image of the, like, reenactors. Oh, boy. And, oh, boy, was Lawrence of Arabia white in that picture? Uh, it's, It's better than them doing, like, blackface. It really is. I don't know if they ever did blackface. There's a chance they did. I wouldn't be surprised if Deadliest Warrior did that. Let's see how they represented Shaka Zulu. Okay, no, they got a black person to play Shaka Zulu. Okay. It's the little things. (laughs) They tried at some points, that's for sure. Oh, oh no. Don't look at the picture of Sun Tzu. Is it bad? Oh no, I'm gonna share my screen.
please do. I would love to love to see this. Oh boy. <laughs> That's rough. <laughs> yes, it is. I love that they have their own wiki. Oh yeah. This is a very this is a very intense wiki. They comment on because the wiki makes predictions and they will say we were right. Uh, <laughs> on all of these. Oh, how did they do Saddam Hussein? Oh no. <laughs> Uh, okay. <laughs> Who who's Paul Pot? Oh, Paul Pot. Um, yeah. a pretty, a pretty gruesome dictator. <laughs> uh, from Cambodia, big big into genocide. He was. Um, Ooh, couldn't be me. <laughs> you know, uh, with the Chinese sticker grenade. Yeah, I think that. This show definitely they they needed to find more people. And I think George they could have Washington. They could have dug deeper. <laughs> um because I don't even they, think they would have to dig that deep. I'm sure there's plenty of like plenty of stuff they could have done. I think they could have even found people that fewer people knew about right and educated them on like here's this really cool warrior that you might not know about and and they kind of did that because not a ton of people really know about shaka zulu um you know no one knows the the waffen ss no one knows the waffen ss that's uh that's nazis oh is that the nazis yep oh never mind i guess we all know the waffen ss yeah I, i didn't recognize it that's rough. Yeah, it was like uh, Germany's version of Green Berets. Well, they fought the Viet Cong <laughs> and won. Oh, boy. Something the U.S. military couldn't do. Oh, boy. We're getting spicy on Tom Talks. Yeah, well, I mean, if we're getting spicy with the Vietnam War, then why is it not considered a war by the government? It's only a battle. You know, good questions. Good questions. Now, why on earth did the Musketeer win anything? Oh, boy. Wow, that production quality is <laughs> outstanding. How did the Musketeers beat him? Wait, go wait, go back to him real quick. I need to just, one of his weapons had bees. It's a nest of bees. Let's, let's see what a what? nest of bees. Is it literally just? No, it's just. Oh, it's not I wish genuinely. it was actual bees. It's not a beehive that they threw at people. That's unfortunate. When are, there's 420 pages on this wiki. Oh my god, that's too many. <laughs> it's exactly for, the right amount <laughs> for a show that ran for three seasons. <laughs> well, yeah, because they go into they go into all of the weapons. They go into all of the warriors. Too all much. Of the battles. I like that. They they have the guesses though. I think that might be my favorite part. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're like, oh yeah, we we thought it was gonna be. Very rarely were they wrong. They really thought the Mongols were gonna beat the Comanche. Um, I mean, and they definitely. Whoever's writing this wiki is for sure sexist because the only battle that includes a woman in this entire thing, they voted for the other person, despite obviously Joan of Arc would win that battle. I mean, I know nothing about William the Conqueror. I know the name. He's not that like, like he's not great. He, he was more of a general than a, like a, an actual 
fighter and Joan of Arc was like on like she, she like oh, actually yeah. fought so of course she's going to win but you know whoever writes the deadliest warrior fandom wiki page obviously does not respect women apparently not I mean it's like Joan of Arc is known for being just great at fighting at knowing her stuff I'm pulling up the image oh there's multiple images oh boy Oh, that's a rough pick. I don't, I don't know what those are. They were for something, I'm sure. I don't want to. Okay, we've got to watch the simulation now. I love Joan the simulation. Oh God! It was so loud. Why was that so loud? Goodness gracious! England's superior arm and ended a hundred years war versus William the Conqueror. The daring and deadly French Duke who crushed his English enemies and drowned himself king. Oh, I love how sick they make it all look, too. It's like they have tech. Do they have like lives or something? I, for, I honestly, I've, I haven't seen this in so long, I forget how it's formatted. Maybe it's like other troops. I think that must be what it is. Right, because they both have a little army with them. Okay. That makes sense. See, and they could have even just reused different fighters. <laughs> the catapult hits a man dead on. <laughs> impressive oh, but she's got a cannon of course she's gonna win it's really all about era and technology yeah god I, human beings really do love war why it be like that i don't know i i feel like we must be naturally aggressive creatures that may be it i can't tell who's winning currently i don't i don't know either uh it looks like not joan of arc she only has two troops left they both only have two troops oh left. yeah oh never oh. mind there we go it's one on two currently now it's just william here we go in the final moments of battle Oh, he got a shield now. That's a sick shield. Oh, he doesn't anymore, though. <gasps> Tragic. How much do you think the people who design these skits gets paid, right? Like, hopefully a ton, because this is art. This is like historically accurate and wonderful. That felt like a cheap shot, though. Hey, I mean, if you're in battle, take the cheap shots. You'll win. Yeah. Oh. A triple stab, though. Oh, did you see him fall off? Because it looks like he rolled himself off. But like, what, what program are they using to run this simulation? That is a very close result overall. That's hilarious. <laughs> what? 
What, what, there's a video game that's that's basically this, isn't there? There's there's the totally accurate battle simulator. Tabs is what it's called. Um, oh boy, I have that not sounds... played it, but I've thought about downloading it. But it's let's see, it's similar, and I think you can input. They've got a ton of different options, so you can do like a T Rex versus an army of a hundred ducks, or like something like that. Um, it's only fifteen dollars. That's not bad. I think you can have Jesus on your team. If I'm not my mistaken. favorite fighter, my favorite fighter in the entire world, Jesus Christ. Right? You know, expert, uh, expert combatant, Jesus H. Christ. I mean, but like he was obviously a really bad carpenter. They never talked about his carpentry in the Bible, from what I've heard. Right? Like, like he he was he was good at being a pescatarian, eating a bunch of fish. What's his middle name? What is the H? That's a great question. <laughs> I, I have no idea. Uh, Let's Google. Eucharist? That's not it. What's Jesus's middle name? Oh, he doesn't actually have a middle name. Oh, where does the H come from when people say Jesus H. Christ? Then? It's, it's just an expletive interjection uh, initially used by Mark Twain in his autobiography. He started he started something big. He did. I think, yeah. <laughs> I don't understand what why it needed to be. Well, that's you know, that's all I've got for us for Tom Talks. We've got we've got enough content for me to for me to fill the time for Tom Talks. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Of course. I uh, I had a blast. It was a good time. And we'll be right back after Hans Zimmer's Red Warrior. Hello and welcome back. You're listening to Radio DePaul. I'm Connor Mudd and this is Tom Talks. That was Red Warrior by Hans Zimmer from The Last Samurai soundtrack. Today's episode, of course, we're talking about The Last Samurai, a film that I had very low hopes for, honestly. I, I thought I was going to hate it. Heck, the first time I watched it, I thought I did hate it. But having rewatched it, I actually really enjoy it as a film. It is a surprising movie. We're going to go ahead and get into a synopsis followed by some fast facts and a data breakdown. This movie focuses on a bitter, alcoholic, traumatized former army captain by the name of Nathan Algren, who is, is traumatized by the atrocities he committed during the American Indian Wars. And he's approached by his former commanding officer, one Colonel Bagley, to train the newly created Imperial Japanese Army for Amura, a wealthy Japanese businessman and a political figure who intends to use the army to suppress a rebellion of discontented samurai against Japan's new emperor. Despite his hatred of Bagley, an impoverished Algren takes the job for the money. I believe it's $500 a week, which is a lot more than he was getting paid as an actor for Winchester gun shows. And he's accompanied to Japan by his old friend, one Sergeant Zebulon Gant. Upon arriving, Algren meets Simon Graham, who is a British translator and photographer with extensive knowledge of the samurai. Algren finds that the Imperial soldiers are actually conscripted peasants that have no battlefield experience or proper training. Before he can train his men, Algren is informed that the samurai are attacking one of Amura's railroads. Amura sends the army after them despite Algren's protests that they are not ready. The battle is a disaster with the undisciplined conscripts fleeing in terror and Gant getting killed. Algren fights to the last before he is surrounded. Expecting to die, he is taken prisoner when the enemy commander Katsumoto decides to spare him. 
Algren is taken to Katsumoto's village to live with his family. While he is treated poorly at first, he eventually befriends Katsumoto and earns the respect of his samurai. Algren overcomes his alcoholism and guilt, learns Japanese, and becomes proficient in the samurai style of fighting. He develops sympathy for Katsumoto's cause, recognizing that they are genuinely upset with how Western technology and customs have eroded their traditions of society and their influence and power. Algren and Taka, Katsumoto's sister and the widow of a samurai killed by Algren, develop an unspoken affection for each other. One night, a group of assassins infiltrate the village and attempt to kill Katsumoto. Algren saves Katsumoto's life, then helps defend the village. Katsumoto requests a meeting with Emperor Meiji and is given safe passage to Tokyo. He brings Algren, intending to release him. Upon arriving in Tokyo, Algren finds that the Imperial Army is now a well-trained and fully equipped fighting force under Bagley. Katsumoto, to his dismay, discovers that the young and inexperienced Emperor has essentially become a puppet of Amora. At the government meeting, Amora orders Katsumoto's arrest for carrying a sword in public and asks him to perform seppuku to redeem his honor. Algren refuses Amura's offer to betray Katsumoto and kills several armed men who try to ambush him. Algren and Graham assist the samurai in freeing Katsumoto. In the process, Katsumoto's son Nobutada is mortally wounded and sacrifices himself to allow the others to escape. As the Imperial Army marches to crush the rebellion, a grieving Katsumoto contemplates suicide, but Algren convinces him to fight until the end and joins the samurai in battle. The samurai use the Imperial Army's overconfidence to lure them into a trap, cutting them off from their artillery and showering them with arrows. The ensuing battle inflicts massive casualties on both sides and forces the Imperial soldiers to retreat. Knowing that Imperial reinforcements are coming and defeat is inevitable, Katsumoto orders his remaining men to join him in a suicidal cavalry charge. During the charge, the samurai break through Bagley's line. Bagley is killed by Algren, but the samurai are quickly mowed down by Gatling guns. The Imperial captain, previously trained by Algren and horrified by the sight of the dying samurai, orders all of the guns to cease firing, disregarding Omura's direct orders. A mortally wounded Katsumoto commits seppuku with Algren's help as the soldiers at the scene kneel in respect. Days later, as trade negotiations conclude, an injured Algren arrives in his old army uniform and interrupts the proceedings. He presents the emperor with Katsumoto's sword and asks him to remember the traditions for which Katsumoto and his fellow samurai died. The emperor realizes that while Japan should modernize, it cannot forget its own culture and history. He promptly refuses to sign the trade treaty. When Omura protests, the emperor silences him by threatening to seize his family's assets and distribute them amongst the populace. Algren subsequently disappears. While various rumors regarding his fate circulate, Graham concludes that Algren has finally found peace as he is seen returning to the village and reuniting with Taka. This, uh, this synopsis also left out a few things. It left out the connection that Algren made with Taka's children. Um, so becoming almost a father figure to them, teaching them English and teaching them uh, his combat style. So they sword fight in a couple heartwarming scenes the same way uh, an American family would uh, you know, play catch or something along those lines. This is a very heartbreaking movie because the samurai that he kills in order to become a captive rather than dead is the husband of the woman who he now has to live with. So the woman whose husband just died has to harbor the man who killed him. And the tension is ridiculous. Uh, 
and, and all of the the insults they call Tom Cruise in Japanese is pretty funny. Um, but yeah, on the whole, this is a pretty good movie. Let's go into some fast facts. This is directed by Edward Zwick, who also uh, did production and, and directing for Shakespeare in Love, Jack Reacher 2, uh, and Legends of the Fall. It was written uh, also by Edward Zwick, but as well as John Logan and Marshall Herskovitz. John Logan has a phenomenal resume, including uh, Skyfall and Spectre, the James Bond movies, uh, The Aviator, The Sweeney Todd movie, and Gladiator. All were John Logan films. Marshall Herskowitz also did Jack Reacher 2 with Edward Zwick. He's not as fun. The cast... Uh, of course, Algren is Tom Cruise, but Katsumoto is played by Ken Watanabe, who was nominated for an Oscar for this role. This was his first role where he spoke English ever. You may also know him from Inception and Godzilla and Isle of Dogs. He's a phenomenal actor. Uh, Colonel Bagley is played by Tony Goldwyn, who's in Ghost and the Mechanic and Scandal. He's just a basic white guy. Uh, Simon Graham is played by one Timothy Spall, who I really only knew as the rat man from Harry Potter. He's the, he's the guy that turns into a rat in Harry Potter. This is his second movie with Tom Cruise. He was also in Vanilla Sky, though I don't remember mentioning him because, uh, you know, I don't love talking about the rat man from Harry Potter. Nobutura is played by Shin Koyamada, who is in the greatest movie on this list which is Wendy Wu, Homecoming Warrior. Taka's played by Koyuki, who is in a bunch of Japanese movies, of course, but nothing recognizable to our American ears. Weijo is played by Hiroyuki Sanada, who is in a ton of things recognizable to our American ears. He's in Avengers Endgame and The Wolverine and uh, 47 Ronin. Basically any movie that has a samurai, he plays a samurai. Uh, and then Nakao, who is one of the samurai in the movie, is played by uh, Shun Sagata, who is in Kill Bill. He, he's the leader of the Crazy 88 in Kill Bill Volume 1. He also has 170 acting credits. That's, that's Nicolas Cage level. That's, that is an impressive resume right there. 170 credits for Shun Sagata. Excellent. We'll talk a little bit of, of fun facts here, though. Uh, Tom Cruise took two years... To prepare for this role. He learned how to speak Japanese. He learned all sorts of sword techniques so he could actually do the stunts as a, as a samurai fighter. He almost died during one of the stunts. Um, one of the actors who was also very well trained in sword combat uh, came within an inch of Tom Cruise's neck because of a mechanical horse malfunction. Uh, this was also the hundredth movie that Hans Zimmer ever scored. So I included it uh, in this episode, because I don't normally do score from the movie, but I like Hans Zimmer, and this was his 100th movie, so we've got to recognize that. In the final battle sequence, there were over 500 extras, and they all trained on a rugby field in order to make sure that they got the exact blocking correct. And uh, the other interesting thing I found in the, in the credits and in, in some of my research, there, there was a legitimate swordsmith who was featured in the movie. So they found a master Japanese swordsmith who is trained in the, the ancient art of crafting katana and similar swords, and they put him in the movie. His name is Shoji Yoshihara, and he, he's the master swordsmith from this movie. So I want to give him a shout out. Uh, I, don't know if he's, I don't know if he'll ever listen to this, but hey, shout out you, Shoji. 
as far as data goes, I actually had to redo the data because the first time I watched it, I fell asleep. And I thought that because I fell asleep, it must have been a boring movie. Lo and behold, uh, I fell asleep because I was tired, not because I was bored. So what we've what, what I've done is I, I actually went in after I rewatched it yesterday and I updated my review. Initially, it was in the 50s. As you know, I, I rate these on enjoyment, engagement, quality, iconography, and the Tom Cruise factor. Initially, I rated engagement very low and enjoyment very low because I wasn't able to finish it without sleeping the first time. But having rewatched it, I've upped most of the scores. So enjoyment up to a 14, engagement up to a 15. Because if I'm not tired, I can sit through the movie. It's very exciting. Uh, there's a ton of intrigue, ton of romance. This is one that I didn't think it, I would ever get to a point where I would recommend this wholeheartedly. But honestly, this marks the first movie in a period of Tom Cruise's films that is really good quality without sacrificing the action that we're so used to with Tom. So we'll see with Last Samurai, Collateral, War of the Worlds, and Mission Impossible 3, those four movies are all top-notch films. And they're bookended by two of my least favorite Tom Cruise movies. So I'm kind of excited to talk about this little stretch here. Um, the total score for The Last Samurai was a 72. That's a 72 out of 100. And we're about to enter a, a hot streak in the 70s. So get ready for the next couple episodes. It's going to be good. That is, of course, all the time that we have for today. Thank you so much for listening to Tom Talks with Radio DePaul. Join us next week when I'll be talking about Collateral. And as always, stay gold, pony boy.